0: Hi, everyone. I'm Mel Butcher.
1: And I'm Michelle Ridfin.
0: And we're behind the Lead to Soar podcast. We've got a couple really fun things to share with you. And the first thing we want to share is our colleague, Susan Colantuno. She started a podcast called Be Business Savvy. Be Business Savvy. We highly recommend it. And it's a short form podcast where you hear directly from Susan. It's like having a friendly mentor in your ear. So check her out at BeBusinessSavvy.com. Over to you, Michelle.
1: Thanks, Mel. Well, two exciting things from me, along with Be Business Savvy. Number one, The Leadership Compass. My very first book is due for release on March 26, 2024. You can find out more about The Leadership Compass, what it's all about. Of course, it'll be your ultimate guide if you're an ambitious woman leader. You can find more about that at michelleredfern.com. And hand-in-hand with the Leadership Compass book is the Leadership Compass Boot Camps. I'm going to do one boot camp a quarter for 2024 for just six women at a time, and you'll be working through in three weeks, so yes, it's short, sharp, and high-impact all of the elements from the Leadership Compass and my 40 years of executive experience. So you'll cover BQ, EQ and SQ and you will be positioned to have a career that soars. Again, you can find out about the boot camps at michelleredfern.com, leadtosoar.com or if you can't find any of that, just drop us a line and we'll point you in the right direction.
0: (laughs) You're listening to Lead to Soar, bringing women the best career advice and mentorship from around the world. Lead to Soar is a production of A Career That Soars. Learn more at leadtosoar.com. Hello, dear listener. Thank you so much for downloading and joining us today on the Lead to Soar podcast. You may know that we started off with a vision for the Lead to Soar podcast to be a resource for premium members inside a career that soars. However, we heard from ACTS members that they would prefer the podcast be completely public. And so that's what we're doing. Starting in January 2021, all episodes of the Lead to Soar podcast will be fully available and published publicly. One thing I want to point out is that This is something we take pride in inside ACTS. Hosts of A Career That Soars listen, and we're learning from our members all the time. We are iterating constantly to ensure that members inside A Career That Soars are getting the best in career advice and mentorship we can foster. So moving on to today's episode, while recorded podcast episodes will be publicly available, Members inside A Career That Soars will have the opportunity to join our live recordings with us on episodes such as this, so they get to hear everything live, uncut, and bare as we're recording it. For today's episode, we have ACTS co-founders Susan Colantuno and Michelle Redfern. I'm also joining them, Mel Butcher, to reflect on 2020 and take a look ahead at what we're most anticipating and working towards for 2021. Well, let's get going then. Let's start with just a quick hello and introduction. Susan, why don't we start with you?
2: Awesome. Thanks, Mel. Uh, hello, everybody. Susan Colintuno here. Realizing that this end-of-year podcast is not only the end of 2020, but also the end of the first full year for a career that source. So I'm delighted to be doing this. I feel blessed and honored to have shared the year with all of you. And I certainly look forward to 2021 being a much better year overall. So welcome from me, broadcasting from the land of the Narragansetts.
0: Lovely. Thank you. And Michelle?
1: All right. So hi, everyone. Michelle Redfern here, co-host of A Career That Soars. I come to you today from the country, Boon People's Country of the Kulin Nation. And I pay my respects to their elders past and present. Boon Wurrung people and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have been looking after our country for over 65,000 years. As far as we know, it could be longer. And uh, I'm really proud that I'm on country and those people share their country with me, the oldest living culture in the world. And what I've really reflected on about 2020 in amongst all of the other stuff that has happened, and I think there's a few buzzwords that we don't want to use, unprecedented pivot uh, <laughs> global blah, blah blah anyway but one of the things that I've had the opportunity to do is learn a lot more about Aboriginal women's culture this year which has been delightful and much to learn so I'm, I'm really there's my first reflection about what what 2020 has meant for me and it's really cool to be here today to well reflect with our community which I absolutely adore
0: I'm so grateful and happy to be here with both of you as well and our studio audience listeners. In this episode of Lead to Soar, we're going to talk about some reflections on 2020 and looking ahead at 2021. My name is Mel, Mel Butcher. I am also a co-host inside A Career That Soars, and I act as your producer for the Lead to Soar podcast to start us off, we wanted to chat a little bit about 2020 as a whole and look back at some of the good things that happened around the world for women in careers and work. So Michelle, I'm going to turn to you to start this one for us. What have you reflected on that's happened in 2020 for women?
1: Well, I think there's there's been a heap happen for women in, in 2020. And I, as part of the work that I do, both in a career that soars and more broadly, have talked a lot about what hasn't gone right for women. Women have been disproportionately affected by this global pandemic. And I know that we'll talk a little later around what that means and what's been done about that. But for me, what has happened around that is that the global pandemic has opened up a whole bunch of dialogue about problems that have already been there for a long time. So that would be my first very broad reflection. But in terms of what I wanted to do here was there's always first women. I love the story of trailblazers. And when I talk to women in a career that soars and in leadership courses and what have you, I say, you know, I really want to, I want you to get below the what the words mean. And being a trailblazer, if you think about it, it's like, I always have this image of you know jungle jane or whatever with a big machete and you've literally got to blaze a trail and you've got to whack down weeds and push snakes out of the way and all that kind of stuff there's a lot to lot to being a trailblazer it's not just a word it's around pushing into territory that's never been pushed into before so I wanted to reflect on those first women in 2020, and it, there'll be no surprise to people who know me that there's a, a fair focus on sport in here, although I haven't over-indexed on sport. So, here are the first women that that I was really interested in in hearing about and seeing this year. Kim Ng became the first woman appointed as a general manager in Major League Baseball for the Miami Marlins. Now, what's really interesting about Kim is that she's been in baseball a long long time. She's, you know, everyone who gets that, just just be patient. Your time will come. Or her time bloody well came finally. But what's been interesting following her story was that she was she was touted 20 years ago as being most likely to be the first woman. And I'm going, really? What took them so bloody long? But anyway, so good on Kim Ng for breaking the glass ceiling, for blazing a trail in Major League Baseball. Patty Jenkins is a film director. And now this was a really interesting one because she is the first woman to direct a feature film in the Star Wars franchise. Now, how's that? When we had such an iconic, you know, a feminist icon, as in Princess Leia, I considered her a feminist icon and she's, you know, where do women belong in the resistance? It really interesting that it's taken all this time. I mean, Star Wars came out when I was a kid. And I ain't any kid anymore. So go Patty Jenkins for being the first woman and hopefully first of many for the Star Wars franchise. US Navy. So we have uh, Captain Amy Bowerschmidt will become the first commanding officer of a carrier. Now, I get my boats and ships mixed up, but even I know what a carrier is. It's a great big ship and the US Navy have have chosen her, and and that will happen in, well, they're saying fiscal year 22, but anyway, it's a first. So so good on her for again being a trailblazer. US President-elect Joe Biden has announced his senior economic team, and we are seeing that the first woman has been appointed to head treasury, Janet Yellen. Again, highly credentialed, no surprises, and just passed the nod test or the water cooler test. So really, really cool. Really interesting when you look at Biden's approach to assembling his his staff, his cabinet, uh, and all of the folk around him, he is being very deliberate and overt about diversity, which of course is attracting a fair bit of commentary around, well, is it all, you know, is it woke washing? Is it, you know, a bit of virtue signaling and what have you? Well, no, I would say that he as an old, white, straight man, has been open enough to have people around him to say, dude, to run this really tough gig that you've got, you're going to need the best and the brightest people and not just people who look like you and sound like you. So good on him for, well, for being coachable. That, that, that Let's give him that credit. The proof will be in the pudding, though. And then, of course, in her own words, she may be the first, but she won't be the last, Kamala Harris. Vice President of the United States, Vice President elect. How many firsts can this woman rack up? First woman, first woman of colour, first woman of migrant parents, first Asian woman of an Asian background, because she's of mixed race. She is, she just has so many firsts next to her. But what I really, really appreciate about her being that first is little girls and young women and women, even women my age can go, that's something that I can aspire to, whether it's local politics, whether it's, you know, state, federal, whatever jurisdiction you're in. So if she can do it, I can do it. So what you can be, what you can see. And I think that's really terrific. So good on those first women, those trailblazers. And it's For me, it's my personal commitment to each one of those women and the other first is to actively and openly support them in any manner that I can, whether it's on social media, whether it's talking about it in forums like this, this is the lifting as we rise kind of thing. So let's not assume that just because they're there, they're having an easy ride of it, they won't be. So I want to support each one of those women. So that's me, Will.
0: I love that so much. Thank you. And That's a great reflection on this has been a really challenging year, but there's definitely some things that have happened that we can celebrate and women leaders that we can celebrate. Hello, dear listeners. I wouldn't normally interrupt a podcast this early with an announcement, but I wanted to share something that's relevant to the discussion happening here. The Biden administration announced that Deb Holland is to serve as a cabinet secretary. He announced later in the day that we actually recorded this podcast episode that Representative Deb Holland from the state of New Mexico is his pick to lead the Department of the Interior. She will be the first Native American to do so. what about you?
2: Something that you said Michelle reminded me of on the point of trailblazers which I often call pioneers there were two women recently one I believe was a Nordic senior politician and one an Australian who both suffered slings and arrows for their attire the woman in Australia for spiky heels and pants that show her ankles, and the woman in the Nordic country for a little décolletage that showed off an absolutely stunning necklace. And when I reflected on that, one of the things that I realized, because I've been watching women advance in organizations and in politics for a very long time, is that pioneering women have been able to make it into the C-suite, make it in politics, not by becoming men per se, but definitely by toning down their femininity. And these women who are second wave have a lot more freedom and exercise a lot more freedom in how they look and in what they wear, which is a, a first, in a broad sense, and something that I think is worth celebrating. So Mel, you had an awesome list of firsts. Do you want to dive in on that?
0: I do. Yes. So I have thought a lot about the Fortune 500 list. And of course, that is a list of basically the top 500 companies that are traded on the US stock exchange. and. You know, there's historically been some pretty abysmal numbers there in terms of more men named John appointed a CEO of a Fortune 500 company than there are women. And there's definitely still a lot of work to do, but we can celebrate this year that we've hit a new high in terms of percentage of women on this list. So the new high is 7.4%. That's with 37 women. (laughs) And some of the new women CEOs on the list that I want to take note of. Carol Tomei, she became the CEO of UPS. Hayward Donegan became CEO of Rite Aid. And let's see, Sonia Singal, a woman of Indian heritage, became CEO of The Gap. I love that. Kristen C. Peck became CEO of Zoetis, which I'm not very familiar with, I have to be honest. And then Jennifer Johnson took over Franklin Resources, which is a financial institution. So still a lot of work to do to get, you know, from 7.4% to 50%, but our numbers are increasing. So that's great.
1: I have to reflect the, the, the Australian performance, which is going backwards. So, we only have 10 CEOs on our top, in our top 200 listed, 10 women CEOs in our top 200 listed. So, we we are actually, we're seeing a a backward movement down here. Mm. So, which is really interesting. But what I also want to say is really interesting when you look at the composition of the companies, there's some, you know, there's resources, there's finance, there's, you know, UPS, supply chain logistics, um, postal. So... Because I'm always wary of what I call pink palaces, pink palaces within organisations, i.e. You know, I'm a woman executive on the, you know, the top team, but I'm in communications. I'm in HR. You know, I'm not running P&L and things like that. So that's one thing. And then the second part is I head up a mining company. I head up a resources company. I head up a finance company, you know, those, those male-dominants. So I just wanted to reflect on that as well. Very unscripted.
2: What I didn't realize, Mel, and I'm glad you brought up those women, is the woman CEO for Rite Aid is, I think, the third time that a Fortune 500 company has named a second woman CEO. There might be others, but the ones that come to mind, uh, Carly Fiorina was CEO of HP, followed not immediately by Meg Whitman. And, of course, there was Anne Mulcahy, who directly turned over the CEO role at Xerox to, oh, my God, her name is- Ursula Burns. Thank you, Ursula Burns. And then Rite Aid. When I wrote No Ceiling, No Walls, Rite Aid had a woman CEO. So that's, that's pretty darn cool. And then I wanted to, what you were talking about, Mel, made me think of something else. And also it ties in to what you were saying, Michelle. Apparently, in Paris, they have a law that says that public governmental entities have to have at least 40% of each gender. And in Paris, there are so many women that they had to pay a fine this year because they over-indexed women. So I I said in one of my tweets that that was a price they should be willing and happy to pay.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs)
2: For my reflections on this year, I did something slightly different. I was thinking about the dramatic impact of COVID over the course of the year, not only from the perspective that Michelle talked about, but the dramatic impact of women in dealing with it from Jacinda, who has pretty much crushed COVID in New Zealand, Uh, To some of the lesser-known women who are playing a role, Dr. Catalin Carrico, in 2005, she discovered a way to prevent the body from creating an inflammatory response to mRNA. And with that discovery, she made possible both the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines that are being rolled out. And there's so much notable about her history. Like many women in STEM, she worked in an incredibly hostile workplace. She was overlooked, she was scorned, she was fired, she was demoted, she was refused grants, she was kicked out of her office, she was told that she didn't have what it would take to be a faculty member. But she, as so many women in STEM do, kept on keeping on. And I wanted to highlight her because no woman should have to deal with the hostility in STEM environments, but without women pushing through, it won't go away. And without women pushing through, we wouldn't be, this woman particularly, pushing through, we wouldn't be where we are with COVID vaccines. A second woman that I wanted to highlight is Kismigia Corbett, She's known as Kizzy. And Dr. Fauci here in the US considers her to be a foremost African-American science uh, working on the development of vaccines. And she actually, as far back as March, was speaking with the administration here in the US and making herself visible. And I love, I wanted to highlight her because she spoke to she speaks to the need for role models. She said, I felt like it was necessary to be seen and to not be a hidden figure. I felt it was important to do that because the level of visibility that it would have to younger scientists and also to people of color who have often worked behind the scenes and essentially done the dirty work for these large efforts toward a vaccine. So I thought that Kizzy was another woman that I wanted to bring to this podcast. And then the third woman I wanna bring to this podcast actually came to my attention because she got fired. Her name is Timnit Gebru. She was the former co-lead of Google's ethical AI team and is a widely respected researcher. She and her co-authors wrote a groundbreaking paper that showed facial recognition to be less accurate at identifying women and people of color. Uh, which means it can end up discriminating. So that rolls me into talking about looking ahead to 2021. So I'll go there and Mel and I, I'm, Michelle. I'm going yep.
1: to jump in a, a, around um, Timnit because I have just, well, in the last fortnight, read and listened to a lot about her experience Mm -hmm. Uh, so there's a couple of things i want to pick up on in in your the women you're highlighting the hostile workplace i think it's Mm -hmm. just such an important part of what we do as well at a career that soars is to give women that support when you are in a hostile workplace now hostility is going to be different for every person so i just want to call that out susan for the three of us we know you know no woman left behind and giving that that place to go. I think all of us can reflect on a time when we became aware that things weren't quite right. And who do you go to? So, you know, that that hostile workplace, a career that soars is a, is a place for for women to hang out and get that support. But with Timnit specifically, one of the really interesting things is, you know, I have a very strong interest in and another business around cultural diversity and women of colour and progressing women of colour or intersectional feminism. She talks about from pet to threat, which so many women of color face. you are excellent. Here we go. We've got a woman of color or a woman of Asian descent or a woman or a woman, full stop, but certainly a woman of color in our executive team or high up or what have you. And she is lauded and fated and and really respected until she starts to speak her mind. So she's a pet when she behaves herself, but she becomes a threat when she starts to call out. And this woman really called it out and was, you know, she's been cancelled by her organisation. What I want to pay attention to is this pet to threat routine. Getting the women there, particularly women of colour into organisations is not enough. We've got to let them reach their full potential, which is, you know, that they've got to be able to speak out. So how might we do that? But she is such a great example of, of that hostile workplace that, you know, how do I have a voice? How do I, you know, how do I achieve and sustain extraordinary outcomes for this organisation? The stuff you've hired me for, if you're cancelling me, it's just crazy. Anyway, I've had rage about it, as you can tell, Susan. So Yeah, (laughs) that pet
2: to threat, I've never heard, but I love it. I think it's an extremely useful, quick phrase for thinking about and and assessing what's going on in Mm -hmm. organizations that are striving to bring in people. Thank you for sharing that. Mel, did you want to say anything before I roll into 2021?
0: Yeah, I think so. We wanted to talk a little bit about trends today. We are in the midst of a pandemic, and certainly in the U.S., we've still got quite a ways to go before we're going to be out of this mess. Even though a vaccine is on the horizon, it's still going to take quite a long time to get it manufactured and out to the masses. We've seen some changes, of course, in, in workplace trends and We just want to discuss a little bit about what we've seen changing and what we're expecting to be impacted going forward. I'll just open that up. Who wants to start that one off?
2: Me. I do. because So when we talked about trends, one of the things that we had as an idea to look, look at was what are the trends in terms of research about women in organizations? And I can basically say That this past year has been more of the same in terms of identifying barriers to women. Some have been recast. We've gone deeper on some issues, but I would say there's been nothing that struck me as oh my God, nobody's ever talked about that before. So the trends that I was looking at were, were larger trends that impact women. So building on Timnit's research. Here's an example of why that matters, and looking ahead in 2021, one of the trends that I think is crucial for us to be paying attention to are the dangers and pitfalls of artificial intelligence. And here's a great example. When U.S. and European researchers used AI to analyze pictures of U.S. Congress members Google's cloud image recognition service applied three times as many annotations related to physical appearance to photos of women as it did to men. So the top labels applied to men were official and business person. Others included public speaking, speech, suit, speaker, spokesperson. For women, the top labels applied were smile and chin, person, but duh, hairstyle, the color of her hair, spokesperson was barely over 50%, television presenter, barely over 50%. So there's been other research about the fact that artificial intelligence doesn't even recognize people of color in many cases, So unless there are concerted efforts to fix this, we'll be in deep trouble the more that artificial intelligence is employed in organizations and in government. I was thinking that the article that Timnit got in trouble for co-authoring talked about machine learning based on language and how artificial intelligence is using language to learn and incorporating racist and misogynistic commentary, again, embedding into artificial intelligence, discrimination. So my eyes are pretty keenly tuned into artificial intelligence and what organizations, technology organizations and others are doing to to mitigate against misogyny, racism, Discrimination, etc.
1: Hey, Susan. On on mm-hmm. that, um, there's a woman that you should, if you're not already following, Dr. Katrina, It's uh, C A T. One of the most influential women in Australia, probably in the region um, around AI. But she heads up Ethical AI Advisory, and she's been very vocal about exactly those issues for a number mm-hmm. of years. You know, um, it's the old saying, and I'm going to swear, Mel. You know, shit in shit out. If we have a homogenous group of folks who are building the stuff, and I don't pretend to be an expert around this field. You know, we are replicating their mindsets. We're replicating their biases. So she's a really interesting person and doing a bunch of stuff, particularly for women in this, this sector, which, of course, is, again, underrepresented by women.
2: So I hadn't, I hadn't been aware of her. I look forward to the link. And to your point about the importance of diverse people working on these things, one of the things that Timnit was known for was the diverse and lauded for globally was the diverse team that she had created at Google. And it's kind of a shame that she was forced out. Another broad trend that I'm I'm going to keep my eyes on. I don't know if it will turn into a trend, but I hope it will. Uh, Mackenzie Scott, you might know her as the ex-wife of Amazon's Bezos distributed four, more than $4 billion in four months and 6 billion over the year to philanthropic organizations, nonprofits that are alleviating the negative impact of the pandemic and also addressing structural racism. And it's laudable that she's doing this but the director of the program on inequality and common good at the United States Institute for Policy Studies said this about what she's done. You think of all these tech fortunes, they're the great disruptors, but she's disrupting the norms around billionaire philanthropy by moving quickly, not creating a private foundation for her great grandchildren to give the money away, nor is she waiting until her death to give the money away which is something that some of the other billionaires are doing so disrupting philanthropy i hope it will be a trend if it is it will be led by this woman and then michelle you talked right at the very beginning about the she session that we're facing the hardest hit industries in the us tend to be the ones where women far outnumber men in terms of employment and then women of color are way disproportionately impacted compared to white women, even at that. So Betsy Stevenson, a professor of economics and former member of President Obama's Council of Economic Advisors, gave this warning. We are creating inequality 20 years down the line that is even greater than we have today. And this is how inequality begets inequality. So this is a huge concern of mine for 2021 and going forward. What are organizations and the government's going to do to help us recover from the she session, as it's been called? So those are my three forward-looking global issues.
0: You're listening to Lead to Soar, Reflections on the Year 2020 and Hopes for 2021 and Beyond, with Michelle Redfern, Susan Colantuno, and Mel Butcher.
1: certainly seen similar trends here around the she session and australia has a really gendered workforce so a, a gendered as in we have mining manufacturing and construction which are dominated by men 80 percent or more of roles in those industries are um, male and then we have the Nursing, or you know, the caring nursing, teaching, caregiving professions, which similarly are dominated by women. Interestingly, though, not at the top, and where the inequality so you know, I'd be kind of okay for jobs for boys and jobs for girls, I'm not actually, but um, if there wasn't pay inequality, so we see unskilled folks in construction, for example, something very near and dear to my heart. My wife's in construction. We see unskilled labour earning Australian uh, over one hundred thousand dollars a year, base income. We see women in nursing and teaching who are eminently qualified, university qualified, technically qualified work you know, and they are earning less than that, and they are not considered and valued as much. Now, what has happened over the course of this year with this with the pandemic is that, this has been highlighted because guess what? We've really relied on women as the first responders to really sick people. And and suddenly we've seen this inequality yawning in front of us.
2: Michelle talking about the caretaking professions reminds me that here in the United States, one of the great tools that we've used to recover from economic downturns is what we call infrastructure. And basically those are big construction projects, roads and bridges, uh, et cetera. And those jobs, those infrastructure jobs that are created to recover from economic downturns generally are jobs held by men in industries dominated by men like construction as Michelle was just talking about not long ago Elizabeth Warren gave an excellent speech talking about caretaking positions as part of infrastructure. And if this incoming administration continues to push infrastructure without considering caretaking as core, we're going to end up having an extremely difficult time getting out of the she-session the woman dominated recession. And I suspect that that'll be true in other countries around the world. So
1: yeah, and uh, thanks um, for picking up there, Susan, the one of the, the things that these blokey budgets, the blokey, budget. blokey budgets, you know, it's, it's just kind of done my head in a, a little bit, because we've got an overreliance on the traditional way of recovering which is let's build more roads and tunnels and bridges and things like that which is great you know infrastructure projects that government government investment stimulates gdp however it then exacerbates a problem of underrepresent women are underrepresented in those sectors yes. therefore the money government money government investment is going to folks and a sector of the community which has, broadly speaking, not been impacted as much. So we're not seeing commensurate investment in those very roles that were deemed as you know you know let's all stand out at the front of our house and clap for all the nurses at eight o'clock every night. That's great, you know that is super. But pay me, um, pay me what I'm worth. Invest in getting more. You know, if we're going to continue to invest in infrastructure. Let's really look at, you know, 20 years down the track, we know that we need to get women into those sectors now. And the example I would give, there's two examples I'd give of how that works, how long-term thinking rather than short-termism, which listed companies and politicians, we, you know, this short-termism, this, the 24-hour news cycle, let's give a sound bite, let's give this, this quarter's results rather than saying we're digging in for a 10 to 20-year strategy here. In, 19, in the early 1970s, Australia had a Prime Minister called Gough Whitlam and he was integral in me being here today doing what I'm doing. He did a range of things. He made university education free. Now, that's since been wound back, but which oh. meant that women, for the very first time, firstly, first of all, didn't need permission from their husband or their father to go to university. And secondly, it was the financial barrier for attending university or college for our American friends was removed. And therefore, we were able to open up a whole bunch of, of different opportunities for women. Equal employment opportunity legislation um, was, was passed, and it, it became illegal to not pay women what they were worth. Now, at the time, you can imagine in 1973 or 74, when it was around, that was groundbreaking. Here we are in 2020, almost 2021, and my daughter, myself, have been the beneficiaries of that thinking way back then. So for me, this is around, to, to your earlier point, Susan, the decisions that are being made now are going to, they're going to affect my grandchildren, which, who do not exist yet, and this is why it's so important to have broader, better representation around those decision-making tables. Because if I go back to Joe Biden, an old, rich, white guy is recognising, hey, I've had the lived experience of an old, rich, white guy who's been in politics my whole life. I need to surround myself with some other people, some other folks who've got different lived experience, different ideas, and can help me innovate when it comes to policy and legislation. So. When I get very animated about we need more women in politics, this is not just about a representative, yeah, you know, burn your bra and get up more women there. This is seriously important because we are, as a community, as a society, globally, decisions must be made so that we stop doing blokey budgets or we do stuff. <laughs> the hat says, okay, if we need to build roads and bridges and tunnels and things like that. How are we going to overtly over-index so that women are in those sectors and women can benefit from it? How are we going to train them? How are, we going to, well, how are we going to attract them? So, you know, this is just so important and why it's so important for our members when we say to you, step forward, step up, be counted, hear, you know, we want to hear your voice we're there to back you to do that. We, we want you to do that because it's so important that your vo- all of our voices are heard, particularly those women who are not like me. Let's face it, I'm middle-aged, I'm educated, I'm affluent. So, you know, I don't feel a lot of discomfort in my life. I am not representative of the women who are hit by this She Session. So we need those women's voices to be elevated. And I want to be able to do that on behalf of them if they don't want to do it themselves, but I want to support them to do it. I'm way off track now, Susan, because I've got very... That's
2: okay. mm. That's okay. Lisa uh, Murphy is in our audience, and she has made the point that we need to get more women into local government positions and I would say, and I think she probably meant the same thing. We need more women at all levels of government, Absolutely. so that decision, the, the lens through which investment decisions are made, economic investment decisions are made, are more equitable. And I just
1: wanted to point out and I'm, I'm that I'm just putting, I'm interrupting again, Susan, but I'm just putting the name of a woman into into our feed here called Ruth McGowan. She will help women get elected. She helped her sister, mm-hmm. Kathy, become an independent member uh, in the federal parliament. She is an expert, she's been a mayor of a council, she is an expert on getting more women into politics, and she knows her stuff. So she's another one worth a follow for exactly this reason.
2: We have a number of organizations that are doing that here in the states, including one founded by Hillary Clinton, so I don't know what's happening in other, like in European countries, but hopefully, although some of them have a much easier time getting women into government than either Australia or the U.S. And then your, your comment about what was going on in the 70s reminds me that it's been 57 years since the United States passed its equal pay law. It was under John F. Kennedy. And we are still so far from achieving it. It makes me want to cry.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, it's Mm. the the ERA is still. Still on the past. Which is just, which I, I must admit, I had no idea. I was absolutely gobsmacked. to think, goodness gracious me.
0: I'd like to go back for a moment to the discussion on infrastructure, because, you know, we've mentioned construction, which has been, overrun by men for a very long time. And the professional services that precede construction have also been overrun by men. So the government piece where the decisions are made, and then also the design piece. What I wanted to share is that there is a group called Collective Punt Six, and the BBC did a really nice video with them, interviewing them. And what What they have been doing, they are urban planners and designers, and what they've been doing is going into communities before the infrastructure money is spent, and they spend time with the people who live and work in those communities, women, and they work with them on what they want to see in the spending. They compensate those people for their time. They compensate these women who are definitely in this caretaker category very often. They are nurses. They are the teachers. They are the childcare workers. They are the janitorial staff. And they get information from them on what it's like to live and move through that urban landscape to change the design to to help them. So I want to make sure that we acknowledge that it's it's not just in the construction itself where women haven't been represented it's also been the conversation on what it's like to have to deal with that infrastructure after it's there
1: yeah yeah
0: that's brilliant
1: a couple of years ago i interviewed a, a woman who was an urban is i should say an urban planner here in melbourne and i, I was doing it as part of my university's was a, it was a one to try and attract women more women into engineering And she was talking about her role, which was to design safer cities and safer, you know, for women. And she said, you know, Mm. designing cities that are walkable is great, but walkable at all hours for all people. And, you know, and I think that's a really – it just made me think of it, Mel, you saying that having that representation in in all stages – of building a city, a road, a a bridge, you know, whatever it may be, means that we're going to get safer, more inclusive, you know, environments. It's such a, a great illustration. But the other point I want to pick up on is that those women are being paid to consult, we're consulting them, but they're being paid for their time. And one of the reflections that I would have, not necessarily this year, but certainly, you know, as someone who works for herself is how much work women have to do to be heard and not be paid for and Mm. you know i I would like to see if i if i think about future trends i would like to see women remunerated for the stuff they do to make society better i have lofty goals mel my advice and of course i'm going to wrap some advice into that is I, i want all our members and our listeners who are thinking about joining a board, a committee, what is your time worth? And and I, I do a lot of stuff pro bono because that is part of my, my philosophy, my values and what have you. But there's, you know, I, I need to get paid for the stuff I do. I want women to be thinking more deliberately, do I deserve to be paid for this stuff that I'm doing? And I want organisations to be thinking we should pay people when we ask them to speak. We should pay people, you know, we should pay women to do stuff for us. And it's a wish. It's a call to action for all of the women listening, all of the people listening. Should we be paying her? If you have to think about it, the answer is yes. Pay women what they're worth. Pay you, pay me, You pay me. <laughs> you know, Anyway. I'm a little bit off track now, Mel, but at that point around that group—they are paid to give their views, which are so valuable to creating the right kind of communities and infrastructure. Hmm. Food for thought.
0: Absolutely, this has been good discussion. I think we should talk about a career that soars, and we should get into some positives that we've had inside a career that that soars, and then also. You know, I'd love if we could talk a little bit about the, looking forward to 2021. 2021 looks bright, but let's start with some of the positives. What is going well? What's going good? Tell us about that. I would
2: love to dive in here. One of the things that's gone very well, especially in the last six months, which is only as far back as we are able to look right now, is we have a huge number of highly engaged. Members. I'll read some of the names Laurel Rose, Dana Thompson, Gree Steen, Carla Koo, Marianne Riad, Angelique Zamet, Laluna Har, Deju, Bronwyn Neeson, Kristen Darby, Jennifer Loudon, Leanne Simpson, Tina Brunette, Angela Kranchik, Marianne Thomas, and Sarah Henschel are our top most engaged members, and we are delighted. Yeah, I see you clapping, Mel, and thumbs up from Michelle. We also, according to the Mighty Network, which is hosts our A Career That Soars community, we are doing really excellent in return rate of members. This goes back further than 30 days, but I'm highlighting the last 30 days, and contribution rate. They rate the participation and engagement of our members as excellent. We have a lot of engagement on posts people click through to our posts at a really high rate. We get not as many comments as would be possible, but we do get quite a bit of interaction member to member, which is terrific. And on our posts, whether we are making them or not. So those are some of the statistically good things that have been happening in a career that SOARs.
1: I nerd out on those statistics as well. So for everyone that's listening, we've, we've just shown you some visuals about what we can see that you're doing uh, in a career that's yours, which is very, very cool. I, I want to pull, pull out some of the posts that have been put into, into the group. And I, I really, really appreciate those of you who post looking for advice because it really does engage the greatness in others. It engages the greatness in our community. So Angelique Zamet posted around seeking advice uh, around networking. And that is our highest, our most engaged or clicked on or liked or commented on post uh, in, as Susan said, in the last six months. And what I observed about that post was Angelique and Angelique is great at challenging the status quo and she was saying what does it really mean to be a successful networker does it really mean this or does it mean that and just the diversity of opinions and advice for me was awesome because it was teaching me some some stuff as well. Tina Brunet had a courageous ask and we we really encourage you to use the courageous ask a courageous ask is being specific and targeted, stepping forward and saying, this is what I want, this is what I need, and that's what we're here to do. So she asked about one of the ones that we get lots of questions about, how do I negotiate my salary? And the context for her was, I'm working in a for-purpose organisation or likely to work for a for-purpose organisation. I feel a bit guilty about asking for what I'm worth. Should I ask for what I'm worth? And again, the advice that she received from the women in in our uh, in our community who work for all different sectors was was terrific. Fiona McLeod uh, started the a career that saws book club because I posted earlier in, in the year that my head was fried and I just could not read. Whilst I'd only read nonfiction for that, well, since I've done my MBA, I've just got a. I read biographies. I read nonfiction. I hadn't read fiction for over ten years. My brain was so fried by about July or August, I picked up a fiction book for the first time. And, and whilst it was it was a bit rubbish as it turned out, but it was really good to lose myself in it. So Fiona took the bull by the horns, or the cow by the horns. Cows don't have horns, but anyway, um, and said, <laughs> right, let's. Yeah. Uh, okay. There you go. Okay. I'm, yeah. All right. There you go. She took the <laughs> cow by the horns and said, right, let's let's have a career that soars book club. So I look forward to that getting some more traction too. Bronwyn Neeson shared her success story after A Courageous Ask and she and, and I'm hoping that I've had a couple of conversations with Bron this week actually and she's in a very good zone at the moment. I'm hoping she'll be sharing some more good news with us in the next couple of weeks but she asked for advice initially, and then she came back and told us how that advice she got from our community helped her achieve a career goal. And then Lisa McMaster, just what can I say about Lisa? She joined us when Susan and I first started. We were doing a, a coffee hours drop-in. You know, we Susan said to me at the beginning of the pandemic, we really need just to have a drop-in session for women to be supported because... Uh, Susan had reflected on when the global financial crisis had occurred in in 8, 9, 2008 and 9. She found it very useful to support the women in her network by providing a, a forum. So we started what became Coffee Cocktails and Connections. And Lisa joined us then and was so open and genuine from the start saying, hey, I've just been made redundant. I'm going to take some time out to develop myself and really think about what I'm going to do next. And I'm really interested in this community supporting me along the way. And she came back to us uh, just recently and said, I've had my first change manager interview because she was doing a career change from one, one part of the world to another. And here's how it went. And, and she was just, she's been so terrific. And I've loved, I've loved following her journey since her change of career early in the year. So those were our top five most engaged posts. And guess what? none of them were for any from Susan, Mel or I and they were all from you, from the women in this community working and supporting and celebrating each other which is for me that's just awesome. So that, that's, uh, that's what I'd like to celebrate Mel.
2: reminds me of something I wrote to one of our members today, something like engagement in, enrichment out. So the benefit of a career that soars increases the more you use us, the more you engage with others and ask others to engage with you. I mean, those are great examples, Michelle.
1: Yeah, and I think um, one of the... A career that soars, as a co-host, it's a habit for me. So I wake up in the morning. Yes, I am one of those people who wakes up and gets her phone. Don't at me, right? I I know, I know. But my my habit has changed in the last two years because I, I have this routine. I'd go, check LinkedIn, check Twitter, check Facebook, check Instagram. Now it's a career that soars, do all my stuff. Right, now it's check LinkedIn, check Twitter. Uh, Facebook comes a very very last um, at at this point because I really am just so peeved with Facebook on so many levels but it it is my daily habit and for the first (laughs) Susan's giving a, a thumbs down I know Susan doesn't do Facebook but for me it's a joyful way to start the day I get that enrichment first thing and it's it's not checking email because i think emails around someone else's tasks for me this is a habit that i want so a little tip if you want to really be engaged with a career that soars find your habit to jump in every day you know the mobile app makes it really easy but i don't know that that's there's a tip i love it mel
0: yes before we wrap up let's talk a little bit about the future of a career that soars. What are you looking forward to in 2021? Is there anything special or different planned that you want to give our listeners a little heads up on? What's coming our way?
2: Well, one thing I can speak about, because I just had an hour-long orientation, there are going to be some incredible enhancements to the platform uh coming in 2021 some of them will make it so much easier to find others like you so for example we've had women make a courageous ask or even contact for me for example and i've wanted to i've wanted to be able to put them in touch with everyone As an example, the HR profession, because she had a question about HR, or all the engineers on the site. And the only way we can do that today is if people write HR in their bio or write engineering in their bio. So we miss a lot of folks. And one of the enhancements is going to make it so much easier to prompt members to identify their profession and occupation field whatever so that it will be easier to connect with one another on profession specific issues. That's one of many enhancements that that will be coming. And I'm so excited about them. That hour was just, oh my God, that's we're going to be able to do live streaming within a career that source. Ah,
1: awesome. Oh that is so I don't know when that
2: will happen in 2021, but that's one of the things to look forward to.
1: So Yeah, yeah, I've got, cool, I've got, yeah, I've got some catch-up to do, Susan, as we were talking about earlier. The yeah. the joys of, of living down under means a lot of our hosting uh, webinars and things are at 2 a.m., which is just a bridge too far for me. What I'm looking forward to is to continue to evolve a career that soars. I, I am really, really, I hate the word passionate, but I can't think of another word at the moment. I'm really committed to human-centred design. I am here. The stuff that I do is not about me, although I get a lot of fulfillment about it. It's about meeting the unmet needs of women across the world. Now, strangely enough, I don't represent all those women across the world. So we have a request, right? We have an ask of you at the moment, our our Career That Solves members who are watching it live. And I'm putting the link in is to tell us, to answer two questions, what's working and you know, what do you want to see more of basically in A Career That Soars? Because Mel, Susan and I will continue to iterate. You know, the, the, A Career That Soars is not written on, you know, on the tablets of Moses. It's not carved in stone. It, it is not set. It is an iterative process. It is ever-evolving and will never, ever stay the same because your needs won't stay the same. So please, I've put the link into the, uh, into the, the chat, chat window so I'd love all of you to to answer that so what I'm looking forward to is doing more of, of what we do really well which is what we've talked about the those success stories and being able to really help women connect with each other get advice and reach their full potential how we're going to do that is we will continue to run the courses that, that we run it, and there are more. So Mel's kicking off the new year with, with a goal-setting course, which I'm really excited about. I will be running uh, your mantle of leadership, which has got such rave reviews from the women. I, I, I'm fortunate enough to get some pretty close feedback because one of the recent participants works with someone who's very close to me and. The, the, the feedback has been, oh my goodness, we it's this, this evolution of this woman in just six to seven weeks in the way her confidence, the way she's presenting ideas and, and things in the workplace has been remarkable. So I really want women to think about your mantle of leadership as a foundational leadership course. Uh, so we'll be doing more of that. We'll be delving into business strategic and financial acumen. Um, and Mel, you made a really good point recently, which is Yes, we will have some content that's on demand, but, you know, I want our courses to be live and engaging and have the, you know, the Boast Borrow Brainstorm sessions where we're all together and it's women learning to share their accomplishments and and borrow from each other. So it is a very, very live, hands-on, supportive, curated experience. So I want to do more of that.
0: I'm so glad that you mentioned that and described that. That's that's more than just, you know, doing something in a way we enjoy. The research on learning has shown very clearly that people, they don't often finish the like pre-recorded courses. They The pre-recorded courses have a pretty abysmal completion rate. It's not as engaging. You don't learn as much doing it live is the way to go in terms of really learning and engaging. And I completely agree that the peer mentoring aspect of courses and being inside a career that soars is really, really one of the pillars of what helps us grow and learn so much.
1: Hmm. So, I I mean, I am pretty optimistic. Uh, I'm a pretty optimistic person. So I'm looking forward to lots and lots of stuff, but at the end of the day, I would be very overt, I want this to be a really, really big community because when you've got a very large community, and I've seen it with my Facebook group, Women Who Get It, people pay attention when you say I've got 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 members because suddenly you are consulted about stuff. And I know that it's it's the same as your social media numbers, and, and Susan and Mel, you will know this. People want your opinion when you have a following or a group or you have volume. I always say with volume comes voice, with voice comes change. So I know that at a primary level, a career that soars is around supporting women around the globe to have a career that soars, to reach their full potential. But goodness me, people who make decisions about women pay attention to people like us who have a community like this. So growth is important for impact in a number of different ways.
0: So I'll tack on to that, that for everyone listening, we recently announced that we're going to take the podcast fully public. So that means all of the full episodes beginning in January are going to be public and available on your podcast platform of choice. And so certainly for a career that soars members, We are so grateful when you take a moment to share the podcast and to share ACTS with friends and colleagues whom you think can benefit. And I also want to just do a plug, a little reminder that if you have a question that is maybe a little sensitive or difficult to ask sort of blatantly inside a career that soars, you can always send that to myself or Michelle or Susan to post as an anonymous ask. That way you can still get candid feedback from people on something you might be struggling with, but it can be anonymous. All right. So like Michelle mentioned, I am going to host a goal setting workshop that is live in the courses now. So when you're inside a career that soars, just go to the left menu bar and click courses And that course is really just a one day workshop. So that's going to be the evening of January 8th for US time zones, which is the afternoon of Saturday, January 9th for Australia time zones. So I'd love to see you there. I'd love for you to join us for that. And a very
1: good way to kick off 2021.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'll take this moment to put another plug out there for if you go to the lead to soar website which is just www.leadtosore.com scroll down a little bit on that home page and you'll see a place to ask a question so it's really it's really easy you can do it on a desktop computer or on your mobile device click on that and it will record a voicemail It'll send it to us, and we're going to answer those questions on future episodes. So just leave your name and ask us your question, and we'll use that uh, on a future podcast episode.
1: Give some parameters. What have been some of the questions we've had already? So that we've, uh, for example, so I know I remember Victoria's quite well.
0: Yeah, it's been uh, a wide variety. So uh, we had one person asking about how to approach asking for a raise and a promotion. So a pretty broad one. And then what was Victoria's?
1: Um, so hers was basically, how do you, I'm paraphrasing, how do I identify whether it's going to be a good boss or a bad boss? How do I kind of work out when I'm at interview stage? How do I interview the boss? That was Which I think question. is a really good one. Yeah. So
0: we'd love to have, you know, s- specific or broad, anything related to uh, your career, leadership. We, we want your questions.
1: And it's, um so one of the things that, that I uh, get a, a lot of, and Susan, I'm assuming you do too, is the, can I pick your brains? Can I have a call to pick your brains? Or can I ask a question? And for me, my capacity to to do that has become less and less over time. And a career that soars is – and the voicemail for a lead to soar is a really great way for me to say to women, I really want to help you and here's how we together can help others. So this is you – if you've got a question about a workplace, your career, a salary negotiation, you know, you won't be the only one. And by you asking that question – And us answering that in the podcast, you are being in service of not only yourself, but of course, hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of other women who will go, oh, gee, I'm glad someone asked that, because I've been thinking about that too, and now I know what to do. So do it for you and do it for other women.
2: I would like to wrap up by thanking all of our members for creating a very dynamic and rich experience at A Career That Soars. It has meant the world to me in general and especially in this difficult and challenging year. Also, I want to be sure to thank all of you who have been spreading the word about A Career That Soars. Mel mentioned the importance of that. Briefly, we have a number of ambassadors who have just been marvelous in inviting others to join. So I hope everyone who listens to this podcast, if you've found value in a career that soars, will continue to invite other women to our community of diverse women from all around the world.
1: Great segue, Susan. My thanks. And gratitude goes to everyone in the career that saw us because in a tough year, it has also been a beacon for me. I've been able to to really put some energy into this platform, which has helped me focus and manage anxiety and uncertainty around a global pandemic and how I work. So thank you for that. It has been as much of benefit of a benefit to me as it has for others. I also want to recognise our awesome ambassadors, those women that that Susan talked about who have been very, very overt about inviting other women to our platform. Greestein, Victoria Damiani, Fiona McLeod, Emma Sherry, Leanne Simpson, Manami Ray, Sally McKittrick, Claire Gibson, Nadia Akoudis, Kelly Ireland and Marianne Thomas are our top ambassadors on the ambassador leaderboard. And there are a couple of posts about how to invite people and get your badges uh, as an ambassador, which you can have a look at separately. But we really want you to bring more women in here. And yes, we are looking at what is being an ambassador for a career that souls look like and feel like. And yeah, beyond the badges, Mel, what does it look like? So Gree and I are doing some work together because she is a silver ambassador and I'm going to give her and her community a couple of hours of my time to watch, uh, sorry, to run a workshop as my way of saying thank you for being an awesome ambassador. So right now you know really think about who you can bring into this community and yes i know we do it for for not for reward but we we are very very appreciative of of you all helping us grow happy holidays happy hanukkah merry christmas and whatever you celebrate or don't celebrate in this end of calendar year environment it is often a time for reflection it is often a time for family but it's often a time that's really tough for a lot of people as well and I think this year is—I oh, have got to use the word—the unprecedented. Another word I never want to hear again. <laughs> um, but this year, be be kind to yourselves uh, for the next few weeks. The, as we approach the end of twenty twenty, reflect on the good things as we've done, as well as the things that haven't quite gone right, and know that that we're here to we're here to to create that soft landing for you. But. Um, thanks everyone 2020 has been a blast in so many ways
0: well Susan and Michelle thank you so much this has been a wonderful discussion about looking back at 2020 and looking ahead at some of the wonderful things to come in 2021 and I just want to echo our thanks to the listeners who showed up today and all members of a career that soars that are so engaged and helpful to our other members so Thank you, everybody.
1: Cool. Well done, Thank Mel. You. Well done, Susan.
0: Thank you for joining us for another episode of Lead to Soar. If you're enjoying the show, we so appreciate when you share with friends and colleagues. That's really the best way for us to grow. When you have a moment, consider popping us a kind rating and review on your favorite podcast platform of choice. Your support helps us to build and grow this amazing resource. Lead to Soar is hosted by Michelle Redburn and executive produced by Michelle Redburn and Mel Butcher. If you have questions or suggestions, contact me, Mel, directly inside A Career That Soars or by visiting melbutcher.com. Lead to Soar is a production of A Career That Soars. Learn more about joining a career that soars by visiting leadtosoar.com and clicking the ACTS link. That's leadtosoar.com. Thank you again so much for joining us. That was cool.